0: watch a movie.
1: Oh, hell
0: yeah. Hell yeah. Click, click, click. Sloppery banana. It's He's, He's going like, to aggregate this. Lillard, well, long range three. Ah! The
1: defense. Their defense is atrocious. Oh, I'm of the rock star. Right on the People. People. Tiso Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly I'm intrigued in. by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love the here. Oh, oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just it's hitting me right, right now. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? Bye. All right, we're back. Welcome to Swish FM. Chris Mandelk and Ben Krav. Ben. Uh, as the number one sports podcast in apple and spotify i know you've been that's uh, right you've you've been looking at the numbers crunching the numbers Uh, yeah really really huge news uh to announce yeah
0: yeah we we're number one in the sports category yeah Uh, really really incredible just want to thank everyone for their support the name all those downloads all those listens yeah i guess it worked totally worked
1: man Anyways, uh, as the number one sports podcast, a lot of people are expecting us to talk hoops today—the uh, old, you know, stick to sports adage. But you know, given the state of the world, I think actually we're going to hit pause for a second and focus our attention elsewhere for a bit, and then kind of tie uh, a discussion about like the state of the world to basketball because actually the two things are pretty much intertwined but um real quick man how you doing how are you holding up in these extremely turbulent times
0: uh, i am uh, i'm holding up uh you know pretty well uh relatively all yeah. things considered uh i i feel like anything that i am uh like currently experiencing um in the past like two or three weeks is like purely like emotional or mental and not like physical i'm uh i feel pretty removed and like kind of distant from everything physically uh because i'm still up in connecticut at my in-laws house um and um yeah i feel a little bit like i'm just kind of consuming everything passively um which is um yeah not uh it's that's kind of i don't know that presents like its own challenge but i think part of like a like getting over that is is what we're going to like just talk about today and kind of yeah. like yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm really actually um, curious about your experience and perspective because I think we are also having like fundamentally different experiences. First of all, just in like yeah. our lives are very different. Like uh, you're up in the country, I'm in the city. You're a parent, I am not. Like there mm-hmm. there're just there are I feel like some unique differences in our experiences even though we're both, you know, to middle-aged white guys with perfectly fine uh, jobs and, and lives. Um, there are some differences, and I'm, I'm actually interested to talk about that. But um, yeah. anyways, as our listeners have uh, probably realized, our episode is uh, out a little late this week, Ben, and uh, the reason is simply that black lives matter. And out of respect for that you know, situation going on in the streets, we wanted to sort of unclutter the airwaves a little bit and allow folks to focus their attention on matters much more important than distractions. Um, which is what our podcast can often be, you know, deep diving the playoffs (laughs) 94.
0: Yeah. To, to be clear, Chris, our podcast is 100% a distraction. Yeah. Um, that is its main purpose and goal, at least, uh, in my life. Um, uh, and you know, it's funny. We talked, um, so, should we should we sort of reflect on, on the yeah. backstory of, like, our... So we, we sort of took a crack at this, like, I guess that was a week ago. Um, yeah. Prior to our recording of our, our rewatch of Game 1 of the 1994 NBA Finals, um, which was, uh, you know, sort of before everything uh, went to shit, it was, like, kind of our... Uh, obviously, that was, like, the project that we were working on, and we were very excited about... Uh, starting, uh, you know, starting the, the finals rewatch, uh, Knicks versus Rockets. Um, you know, the final, the final frontier of, of this uh, months-long now project that, that we've been undertaking. Um, and so then, you know, sort of real world uh, interrupted that <laughs> that like fantasy world of ours, um, and. So we were like, all right, well, we should say something, uh, to, you know, reference, um, current reality, uh, which is, you know, obviously, uh, as has been clear to all of our listeners, um that's not what we like to do on this podcast. We we try, in fact, like I said, we do this podcast mostly as a way to escape current reality. Um, and the reason why we started down the 1994 playoffs journey was pretty much a direct response to the uh, coronavirus crisis and trying to think about uh, anything other than that. Um, yeah. So we were like, well, <laughs> at a certain point, like you can only run so far from reality. Um, so we like, sort of made this like you know like acknowledgement um but then we sort of said and i, I uh, completely accept all sort of i don't know responsibility or uh, i don't I don't want to call it like blame but like i was uh-huh. kind of the one that 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 put the message or statement out that was like you know, it's not. I don't really want to say too much about how I feel because it's like, who are we? We're just a dumb, uh, bas- like stupid basketball c- podcast that no one listens to. A couple of you know white dudes who are, you know, have no authority, quote unquote, to, to speak on this matter. Um, it's not my place. Like, I urge everyone to you know look elsewhere for, uh, the voices and the and whatever like the 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 uh, guidance that they that they need to sort of figure out. How to process all all that's going on and and what to do about it. Uh, it's not my place, um, and I, and I sort of I don't know. I sort of uh, approached it all from like this position of like humility, but um, looking back on it, I realized it was like really just a a cowardly cop out to to yeah, it's to a say bucking that um, of any sort
1: of responsibility.
0: Yeah, it was a complete advocation of like I, I didn't want to say like this isn't my problem, but it was more like I don't know how to solve this problem. So and it's like so I'm just going to like kind of you know obviously like I believe that I in my heart and like the sort of political and social beliefs that I have are like on the right side obviously I support um you know the all all, all the the protests and and demonstrations and um I uh, am appalled at the uh, root causes of those protests both the uh, you know actual instigating event the murder of george floyd and and everything that led up to that um, in both like you know small and and massive uh, ways anyway I, I was like whatever I feel uh, good about how I feel but I don't I'm not like gonna tell anyone else how to feel um, kind of a thing Um And I don't know, I, like, that felt like the sort of way to feel at the time. Uh, And then I think, you know, with talking about it more and thinking about it more and with you, I realized, like, no, that's stupid. Like, that's uh, cowardly and lazy and, like, kind of wrong. Yeah, it's Um, not even
1: remotely truthful is, I think, the most important thing. (laughs) Like, you know, like... I, you know, I've been kind of thinking a lot about distractions like that, that word that, that, uh, that we, you know, we refer to our podcast as a distraction and that like, we've had so much fun uh, jumping into the 1994 playoffs as a distraction from like the depths of depression during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, the reality is that there's been over 100,000 lives lost in this country. And we're trying to, understandably, I think, you know, sort of just distract ourselves from like the sadness of life. But there comes a yeah, point. Yeah, it's self care. I mean, yeah, that's sure. there's a place for that. Certain, there comes way. a point, though, I think, where distractions and avoiding reality can actually translate into complicity with what's happening in the world, especially when it's mm-hmm. happening in the world. What what's happening in the world is related to social justice and racial injustice. And complicity, I think, like that silence, um, that distracting yourself is actually more deafening and more distracting than just the reality mm-hmm. itself. The, when, mm-hmm. when you become so sort of um, like when you have such tunnel vision and you're so blinded and so unwilling to sort of just address reality, it's actually way more distracting and weird than just talking about reality itself. So um, yeah, yeah the thing
0: I, I, th- I think both of us felt, so we like, whatever we talked last week for 10 minutes, 15 minutes sure. at the top of the show. And then we went into our, uh, our recording or, uh, of the, you know, uh, of game one of the NBA finals. We just kind of like went ahead with like doing the thing that we had planned. Um, and I think it was fine, whatever. Uh, it was our usual bullshit, but it definitely like the whole time, I think, um, uh, I don't know, speaking just for myself, um, it felt a little off. Like I felt like I, I was like, I was like, I felt a little guilty. (laughs) Um, and I think it kind of, I don't know if it is reflected at all in, in, in our recording. Um, but the whole thing felt a little like, I don't know. Like we're just doing this to do it. Like let's just get this over with because we both watched the game. We both took a lot of notes, and we're supposed to do. Like for some reason, we've given ourselves this assignment to complete this. um, (laughs) This this yeah. So so I guess this is what we have to do. And it just didn't. It just didn't really feel that great. (laughs) And like, um, and I was like, oh whatever. Like we'll just put it out there, and then we'll you know, this is a, a thing that, I don't know, like obviously this this issue, quote unquote, isn't going away. So we can't just like completely stop our lives. Um, and that's what like, uh, I feel like a lot of the, the things in the shows and stuff that I've listened to talks about that feeling of being like, well, how paralyzed should I be? Like how right. much do I need to like interrupt, disrupt my... Life. my comfortable daily routine, um, in order to like feel okay about how I'm reacting, responding to this, um, you know, this, this crisis, this, uh, moment in, in American history. Um, and yeah, and I don't know the answer to that question. Like I don't, uh, you know, I think,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, there's no, point <laughs> I don't know when, how, there's, uh, let's be real. There's no point at which it's okay to just like go back to normal life and just like, all right, this one will just be about basketball. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's never actually going to be okay. Although that will eventually happen at some point because that's just the nature of reality. I think that people sort of become numb to injustice and sadness. And at a certain point people just stop caring about, you know, injustice and, 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 uh, disparities in the world. Um, like I know we yeah. certainly have, which like is, we, we talked about, you know, Hong Kong and China at the, at, at uh, at the beginning of the NBA season and we mm-hmm. really cared about it. And then at a certain point, you know, the season began and we just, just sort of made a decision consciously or unconsciously just to focus on the happy stuff, which is like, Oh, basketball is fun. <laughs> and, you know, right. like not sort right. of acknowledge the, Um, gross, uh, you know, like injustice that it's like built on. Um, So the reality is at a certain point, I'm sure it will become less fashionable for people to talk about these things. It'll become less hip to have these difficult conversations. (laughs) And it's our responsibility, I think, to fight our damnedest, uh, you know, to swim upstream, to claw and, 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 and scrap and fight uphill to keep this conversation in our, to hold it as we talk about other things, because eventually we're going to move on to other parts of life. But I think what's central and important is that we realize like, you know, eventually we'll talk about basketball again, but the reality is, racial injustice like basketball is built on racial injustice so like we can never really escape this conversation and we should never be escaping this conversation and it's always there I mean it's always there it's just a matter of if we want to sort of acknowledge it and how much we want to acknowledge it so I think the next thing about a podcast and having a, a partner You know, like on a project like this, a partner in life, whatever it is, like you can have someone you can sort of hold yourself accountable to. And the nice thing is that we have like a whole audience of people to hold ourselves accountable to. Uh, to hold ourselves account- accountable to, so I feel like
0: the word yeah. "whole" is is I don't know "whole." That sounds like a big audience. Uh, I would I would call it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how the big three our audience but whole. But whole really, I feel like that's really, uh, really, really, really pumping ourselves up here. I love it.
1: Basically, you know, today, man, like no no distractions today, um, and uh, we won't be escaping any sort of reality today. Today, we're gonna be. Focusing on what's happening in the world, in our communities, around the country, and you know, of course, what we're talking about is the police brutality, the racism, the systemic oppression of black people, people of color in this country, a conversation that has obviously been sparked by the May 25th murder of George Floyd, we should call it what it is, which is a murder. Uh, George Floyd was a 46-year-old black man who died in Minneapolis after uh, Derek Chavon a white police officer pressed his knee on, onto Mr. Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes. Um, George Floyd was handcuffed. He was face down on the ground. Three other officers looked on and just prevented others from intervening. And uh, as you, you know, said the last time we talked, they, in fact, you know, assisted uh, Officer Chavon in murdering Mr. Floyd. Uh, George Floyd lied motionless for three minutes on the ground as Officer Chavon continued to press his knee into Floyd's throat, and he was shortly pronounced dead at a local hospital. Um, Ben, the the aftermath of that incident has obviously rocked the nation. We've had two weeks of now historic protesting, demonstrating. It's largely been organized by Black Lives Matter. Uh, Demonstrations have. Been peaceful uh, and impassioned. Um, we've seen protesters met by police in riot gear with tear gas, flash grenades, rubber bullets, smoke bombs. Curfews have been, been put in place in cities across the country. New York City, Los Angeles, D.C., Atlanta, Minneapolis have effectively been turned into police states. Um, you know, and yet, Ben, like, I, I got to admit, like, this might be a weird thing to say. I find myself more hopeful than I have in a while, and uh, I think, like, going to protests and demonstrations have really sparked that hope, and I feel more engaged uh, than ever. So, yeah, man, I mean, let's talk uh, about the last two weeks, uh, what it's been like for you, and just sort of anything that you've observed in terms of the the event itself and the reaction.
0: Yeah, so... Um, when you talk about hopeful, uh, I, I think I'm, it's really, really hard to be hopeful, um, at all in America in 2020 about anything pretty much. Um, but, and like, there's like a really natural instinct to like, you know, be cynical and be, um... Uh, to sort of, like, you know, immunize yourself against disappointment by being like, whatever, nothing's ever going to change. Um, and, you know, especially when uh, that feeling is... I don't know. I It's hard to say, you know, like, oh, I'm really optimistic for change. Uh, especially when, uh, basically, the whole, you know, history of... <laughs> Um, this country sort of flies in the face of that kind of optimism. Um, and, you know, I think when these protests first started, uh, it was sort of like, wow, okay, we're doing this again. Um, obviously not that I was like against it. I was like, well, this is the natural, you know, response and reaction to right. the,
1: a terrible you know, thing.
0: Rea- re- yeah. The, the realities of, of our, of our system. um, so it I was just like, you know how is this going to be different from 2014, 2015 whatever like all that stuff in Ferguson and um, but it definitely feels different, and it feels it's, it's I mean there's no question it's not that it feels different it's subjectively different the the number of protests the, the number of people engaged the just the like sort of national response um, and I definitely think that uh, you know everyone has pointed this out but the fact that this all (laughs) happened after three months of uh everyone just being cooped up inside their apartments um
1: 40 with a uh, 40 million unemployed people yeah
0: yeah um i mean it's just a a perfect storm um uh that that you know just kind of exploded all at once um but i think that there's like also i don't know it's hard for me to like kind of articulate this but I mean here's the here's the thing. So I li- I'm right now living in Old Saber, Connecticut, which is a white-ass town in a right. pretty largely white-ass state except yep. for you know some pockets of um uh, uh, of um, you know cities and stuff. Um the point is like as all all this was happening, I was like this doesn't I feel like this isn't going to reach this town, really. Um but it turns out that last Sunday, uh, June, whatever that was, uh, 5th, um, uh, wait, it was, no, sorry, it was uh, the 7th, June 7th, um, mm-hmm. there was actually a protest in Old Saber, Connecticut on, May, on Main Street. Um, uh, I didn't attend it. I was actually working that day, um, I not out of it, uh, choice, but because of a, whatever, uh, schedule that, I, that i'm currently on um but but the fact that it happened in old sabre connecticut um, yeah, and is happening in you know every city yeah. practically uh, across you know in all 50 states um you know it, it, got, it does give you hope that, like okay you know maybe things aren't going to change dramatically from uh from this you know i don't think that that police departments are going to be radically defunded, or uh, abolished, or disbanded, um, you know, in in a year's time. But it feels like a much bigger, more significant, like, step in that direction than we've ever had before. Um, And the next time this happens, because it will happen again, I'm pretty sure, uh, a police officer will probably kill an unarmed black person uh, again, uh, in this country. Um, And, like, you know, the next sort of protest and and movement that happens from that will be, like, different and bigger um, and, you know, further reaching than the, than this one, you know? So the the hope is basically just that, like, you know, at a certain point, it's almost like a, a, a natural course where, you know, people in power can resist change as hard as they want for as long as they want. But if the system is bad enough... And there are enough people, just physical numbers of people that are suffering in that system, like, it can't sustain itself. Like, something will change. Something will yes. have to change. Um yes. So, that's the part that gives me hope, where it's not like, a, like oh, rah, rah, like, look at all the people out in the streets. Like, this is it. This is the dawn of a new day. Um, you know, the fact that people are, are uttering the words, uh, defund the police or abolish the police, kind of like for the first time, like, I mean... It, this is a, going off in like a sort of separate tangent, but um, talking about that uh, specifically, like that's one of those things where <laughs> it's wild to me that like, there are people that have been doing um, that work for decades, literally, um, you know, focusing on like how to disband, dismantle police departments and replace them with something different. There are people that have been doing that work for decades. Um, and, I didn't really know that that was a thing (laughs) until three weeks ago, you know? Um, Like I didn't, like that's a phrase that I like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh wait, that's, that's like a a thing. Like that's possible. Like, oh shit. Like I want to read about that. I want to see, I want to learn about how that, how that works. And I want to, you know, study the people that have been doing that work. Um, And like, it's crazy to me. Like, the idea that like people could have been doing that work and like sort of like thinking in that way for so long um, and without ever really being recognized. I mean, like obviously like if you are like there are communities uh, and, 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 and small pockets and groups of people that um, you know, do that work and that spread that message. um, But like, fucking CNN wasn't talking about that you know like the no, new york was, times was the Washington that, post
1: it, it was an idea it was it was an idea that like lived largely i, f- I think in academia and, and in yeah. like activist circles but it wasn't exactly. like exactly it, it wasn't an idea that could ever it was not a mainstream thought it could never that permeate people... it could never permeate actual practical action and and like actual yeah. law or practice in right. real life right. it's just sort it, of w- it was just sort of it was yeah, it
0: was, a, it was a concept and it was an abstract concept to to everyone except for the people that were actually doing it, um, of course, who were doing, like, real serious hard work, you know, not just writing academic papers, but, but you know, going to cities, organizing people, organizing communities. Um, but the fact is that, right, like, no, no one was talking about it at the dinner table. Um, and now, all of a sudden, people are. And, like, Amazing. that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Like, I don't think that, uh, like I said, like, Police departments aren't going to be replaced with a completely different thing uh, next week, um, but like this is a step that's certainly never been taken before. Like this is yeah. a, a, like a like a thing um, where it does feel different. It feels very different from from anything that we've experienced up till this point. Um, yeah. So that's encouraging like that i have to like kind of like that actually acknowledge that (laughs) it breaks through my my very very hard cynical shell that i have constructed over years of observing this country and its politics that actually like pierces through my armor to make me feel like oh like this is at least something has
1: changed (laughs) well my pers my perspective on hope is this um you know like hundreds of thousands of people flooded the streets in the United States this past weekend and i mean just think about thinking about that is remarkable and then you know you you were saying that like it feels like there's a change potentially in this country but the reality is we are now what we're seeing now is a massive like global movement there have been protests yeah. in london glasgow sydney berlin edinburgh madrid lisbon copenhagen yeah. Milan, Syria, Syria, Brazil, Mexico City, <laughs> Dublin, New Zealand, Toronto, Vancouver, Poland. So this is now become a groundswell. That's we're, we're we're now in the midst of a global discussion, and there is suddenly this enormous pressure to actually have dif- difficult conversations um, about the police about race relations and you know in the case of George Floyd it was an Ameri- it, it, it it it's a it's an american incident but these are conversations that feel applicable to other places too that have their own checkered gross terrible history with racism right and 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 police. Yeah, brutality. with racism
0: and and and, and incarceration, sure. and also just like cap- capitalism in general, which I is you know the sort of underlying system that produces all of this. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and I'll say yeah. again, my perspective on hope as you know, unlike you, as someone that has actually been protesting the last few weeks, I've been to probably four or five protests. Probably the most cynical I have been the past 2 weeks has been during my moments on the internet
0: yeah so, oh like, yeah
1: and and i think that like there it's very hard to look at the media whether it's social media whether it's uh you know news media whether it's the television whatever it is it's very hard to look at the news and have any sort of optimism or hope about actual change and i will say yeah. that like when you actually show up at an event, you realize that there is goodness in the world and people really recognize good like good people recognize good people and you're not alone in your outrage. And I have felt inspired like actually showing up and being there for my neighbors. Um and I, I've been to events Uh, all the events that I've been to have been in Queens and I'll tell you like a really quick story. I know I've, I've shared this with you, but like I live in, uh, what is considered the most ethnically diverse urban, uh, area in the world, Queens, New York. And I went to a protest, um, last week during the afternoon, uh, organized by Black Lives Matter. You know, it was incredibly, it it was peaceful. It was passionate. The cops were there. Um, there were no issues. There was no confrontation. It was it was great. And there was a person in the park where this event was being held, who was not part of Black Lives Matter, and had a noose in a tree. A white middle-aged man had a noose in a tree and a, and and a little like picnic chair, and he had his arms Harking crossed. He had his arms crossed, and he was just staring at us and I really it like dawned on me in that moment again I live I live in a neighborhood in a district represented by AOC right like this like hip liberal progressive place I realized like if that one even one of those people if even like one of those people lives in my neighborhood and much less is a white person then I am certain I have a tremendous responsibility to one, let that person know that his thoughts are not welcome here, and two, to let my fellow neighbors know that I love them and I have their back. And I have to say, man, that person very quickly exited the protest, and <laughs> I like, just don't
0: understand like what they thought they like would happen
1: like who knows? <laughs> like
0: Uh, It's so that's so mind boggling to me. But your point is, yeah, obviously is
1: it it dawned on me in that moment. It was like, we are not doing enough. I left that event feeling like a, uh, you know, obviously like insanely shocked, disgusted, dismayed by this guy. But B, like the way everyone at the protest handled it. They were all just like, don't attack him. Look at this asshole take a photo if you want, whatever, like, let people know, like, this is real, like, this is, this is America, (laughs) this is the neighborhood Mm -hmm. where you live, and, like, it was just such a, it was actually a very galvanizing moment, man, where I was like, oh, okay, like, we are not, (laughs) not only are we not done, like, we have so much, we have so much fucking work to do in this country, and it starts locally, you know what I mean, like, I, um, Obviously, like the White House is a shit show, and it has been a shit show for a very long time. And it I don't know a you're not show. excited
0: about uh, you're not excited about Trump's speech on race penned by Stephen Miller. I don't know. It oh, could be very healing.
1: Wrong. Yeah, it could be very healing. Uh, yeah. I will say, like, I think both parties, both political parties, have done like shitty things. Um, oh yeah, but but I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but like the truth <laughs> is, like we. We don't you dare d- speak ill of Joe Biden. Don't you dare. Don't you. Don't you do it. <laughs> I, I he's know, my he's, guy. He's, he's gonna, a hero of
0: yours. I know. He's he's Mr. F- he's Mr. Fix it. Come on. Yeah, all we yeah, gotta do is yeah. vote for him. But like, and uh, and and it's my point is solved. like in terms
1: of hope, man. Like, I, I I think my perspective on all this shit is this: we have to stop looking to politicians, right? We have to stop. That that's what I've learned from all of this. Like, stop looking to these yeah. institutions for hope stop looking to these false gods for hope. The real hope I have is in my fellow neighbors. Because here's what I know, yeah. man. Like, here's, here's what I know. Um, there were massive protests globally around the world and actual change has occurred. We've seen Confederate statues and monuments ripped to the ground. You know, um, I-, I hate Eric Garcetti, mayor of Los Angeles, but he is someone that has already welcomed uh, 150, $150 million haircut to the LAPD budget, which currently has a budget of $1.7 billion. Yeah, it's so, a fucking
0: drop in the bucket, but it's hey, a haircut. I guess it's, it's better it's, it's, than... It's, yeah. it's
1: literally nothing. But the fact that like we yeah. are even entertaining those conversations, even if it's literally yeah. just a PR campaign, is yeah. m- more than where we were t- two weeks ago. I also right. know that, like, they upgraded the charges of of the of the officer that killed uh, George Floyd, and they also right. added aiding and abetting charges to the three other police officers. Without the right. protests of the last two weeks, it probably doesn't yeah. happen.
0: That only uh, happened after after the fucking precinct was burned to the ground in in Minneapolis, dude. And
1: maybe this is what it takes. Maybe it takes like literally shaming these people. Maybe it literally takes dragging and shaming Mayor De Blasio to pledge. To cut the six billion dollar NYPD budget, if that's what it takes, then what? That's what it takes. But here's what I know: the nine members of the Minneapolis City Council have already announced their support to disband the Minneapolis Police Department at a rally yeah. uh, over the weekend. And like,
0: yeah, that nine, sh- nine out of the uh, nine out of the thirteen that is, it was sure. uh, yeah, a, a veto-proof majority. But yeah, the um, not not all <laughs> there were four four that were uh, holdouts. That abstained. Um, right,
1: but here's what I know: like. Yeah like actual change is occurring and that yeah. is hope it might be incremental
0: and it's it's like absolutely not going to be enough but and it it's, is it's not a step it's in not right going to
1: come it's not going to come from government like we here here's what i've learned from this whole experience literally government and politicians will just fall in line with what like the popular majority says because they just want to be reelected so like mm-hmm. how like we have been petitioning our you know, city uh, councils, we've been petitioning our governors and mayors for years to take down these Mm -hmm. Confederate monuments and statues, right? Never happened. So eventually, we just had to rip them down. And guess what? Yeah. (laughs) Now, now we are hearing from our our governors and mayors who are like, yes, you know, like, uh, we will allow that to uh, stay that way. So Mm-hmm. The lesson I've learned in terms of hope is like I, I, I have gained hope from my fellow, my fellow man, my fellow neighbor. You know what I mean? Because that's the, yeah. the, those are the people that are actually going to take the streets back, who are actually going to make a difference. It's not the politicians. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. It's, it's, it, it's not Andrew Cuomo or Garcetti or de Blasio or any of these people because they're all, I hate to say it, they're all frauds. But like I do have hope. That our like, (laughs) you hate to hear, you hate to hear that. (laughs) You hate, you hate to admit it. You hate to hear it. But I have hope in like my neighbors. I, I really do. And, um, yeah, man. Yeah, man. So George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, um, Breonna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Philando Castillo. Uh, you know, we know about growing up in New York, Amadou Diallo. Like, enough is enough, man. Like, we are sick of this shit like like we are tired of this and so it does feel like for me um something is changing it might be slow like progress is often slow but like things are changing you know like imagine having a conversation with your conservative family member about defunding the police and them being open to that idea which is something like i've been going through in my life um so i'm hopeful man i'm hopeful so um you know, I I've been thinking about like we all we all got to do better. You know, like that we we all have to do better. And um, you know, like you talked about you and you and I included, and this podcast included. So we need to say more. Um, and I'm glad that we held off on recording the episode, and we're like actually kind of addressing the elephant in the room, which is uh, George Floyd and the the protests of the last few weeks. Yeah,
0: it definitely feels better um and obviously like it's such a it's such a thorny thing because you're like okay so you know how much of 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 you know what all of us are doing is 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 you know a uh, a gesture towards feeling better you know Mm -hmm. personally like Mm -hmm. uh and like the whole uh like protest movement where it's like I mean, there's obviously a lot of white people in these protests, and a lot of them are very sincere and very passionate, and a lot of them are doing it because it's, like, the cool thing to do these days. Instagram, um, yeah, yeah. And you're looking real fly on Instagram with a big sign in your hands. Um, and I'm not trying to, like, shame anyone because it's like, hey, you know what? That's better than not protesting. Um, if, 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 like... If we can make, like, protesting, uh, you know, inequality and injustice, like, a cool fashionable thing that, like, Instagram influencers are doing, like, you know what? That's a success, I guess. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's better than nothing. Better
1: Um, than not protesting, right.
0: Yeah, but it's such a, like, a thorny thing where you're, like, trying to figure out – I mean, obviously – you know we haven't talked about uh this issue in any like real way um at all on this podcast because that's not what our podcast is about um i think it's always been you know we've we've like sort of touched on like political social issues a little bit um in the in the past uh, on certain episodes but like for the most part, we are, uh, like everyone else, like jumping in on a, uh, for lack of a better word, like kind of a fad. Um, a moment. Yeah. And, yeah, like a moment. And it's like, a, you know, like I just don't want to... No, man. And I think that's part of also why in the beginning, or when we when we kind of took our, our, our false start last week, I was like hesitant because I didn't want to come off like that and I didn't want to... Um, uh, you know, appears if I'm I'm like oh yeah yeah like totally like I wanna um you know oh I've always had these these ideas and like sure, sure I know all about this this uh, issue and here's and, my um, woke
1: gesture yeah
0: right exactly and I'm gonna show and I'm gonna show everyone I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make it clear to all of our listeners you know how woke I am and and how progressive I am and yada yada um, like. Uh, <sighs> I think after feeling like, Oh, I don't want to look like that. So I'm just going to kind of be like, well, whatever, this isn't the place or the time to like have that talk. Um, again, I'm just like kind of pushing past that and like admitting like, yeah, we totally are just like jumping on this <laughs> quote unquote bandwagon. Uh, like, again, it's not, I don't, I feel it's all stuff that I know you and I have both like sort of understood and felt and like been on the, on the right side of without having to like speak it or talk about it. Um, <laughs> Like it's no question, like sort of you know uh, where we stand politically um, or like socially, um, but it's it's not. I am like, well, I don't.
1: Yeah, sorry. Right,
0: right. So you are like, oh, yeah, I don't need to explain it. I don't need to um, to prove it to anyone. But I think more than that, um, it's it's like time to kind of admit that, like sure, I might feel these things and feel sort of content in being like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a good, like, leftist, like, you know, liberal, progressive person, like, um, I, I, I you know, I don't think I really need to do much more. Like the fact is that like I might I might believe these things and I might understand these things and, and like, you know, of course I know all about the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King and, and all the um you know you know different cases of, of police killing people over the years and uh you know I know all about the the LA riots in ninety two and I've like listened to people talk about, you know, the plates and and and, and the and the hardship and, and tragedy of, of being black in this country. So, I'm good. Like, I think I'm all right. Um, But the fact is, like, I really haven't, like, studied or, like, read that much. Um, And I, like, I want to do that more. Again, more just as, like, a
1: kind of just a selfish thing to to just feel more educated. Here's the thing. Like, um, that's great that you want to, like, read more for self-improvement. But the reality is, like, no one actually, it doesn't, It's great like what we do in the privacy of the ballot box at the election, (laughs) but like it's not enough. Like I think is 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 the point. Like to to say like, well, I know what my politics are, so I don't need to like have this whole podcast where I like sort of um where I sort of champion these ideas. It's like actually at this point, if you're not vocally championing championing these ideas, yeah, you sort of fall on the complicit um bucket you know what i mean and and that's the sad truth because that's how bad things are are in this country that we actually need vocal advocates because to be a white person who's like no i'm a i'm a a good democrat i'm good it's like well (laughs) congratulations you know what i mean like (laughs) congratulations yeah you're off the hook you don't need yeah you're a woke democrat and there's like someone literally being strangled on the street by a cop but like we yeah. can count on your vote in November you know it's like it like act I, I think that's what like has clicked for me the past few weeks is like like it, it takes much more at this point to to feel any sense of like being okay with yourself and like your involvement um, is like being like, Oh well, I've I've I know about uh, American history, or like oh, don't worry, like I know how to vote in November. It's like yeah, that's not the point. That's not good enough. Like because if you're literally yeah. not advocating for your neighbors, then you got to understand there's a guy with a noose in your neighborhood who hates <laughs> people who have different skin color than you. And the fact is, like if I eat a, if I eat at a restaurant with that guy regardless of who I'm voting for, I'm not going to have a problem. But if one of my black neighbors is eating at a restaurant with that guy, their life could be in danger. Right. And like that for me is like where things have sort of clicked, which is like you. we literally have a responsibility, especially as white people, to be talking about this stuff and actually advocating for people who are having a much harder time than us. And I, I know how preachy and soapboxy I sound and I think that's some of what you're talking about and how like yeah. cringey, how cringe worthy we can feel sometimes where it's like, ooh, I can hear myself being preachy. And it's like, yeah, but that's that's the burden that we bear, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, like, and like that's that's, the, that's like the
1: the, the hardest part of all this for you and the I terrible, is That's is the terrible that's the terrible weight that we carry, Ben. Like right. I guess <laughs> exactly. I guess we're just gonna have to feel self-conscious. And yeah. like you know what I mean? Like, how terrible. Meanwhile, like, our neighbors have to live in a place with someone who has a noose. Yeah. So, yeah. or,
0: we're gonna, or, like, or, like, live be, in a city without clean water, or, like, yep. yeah, just, like, not have, like Or be any terrified fucking... when they're
1: pulled over by the cops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, that's the burden that we carry. And, uh, right. God forbid we have to feel so, a
0: little a little awkward and 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 like queasy <laughs> yes. uh tr- trying trying to to talk about this stuff without sounding like an asshole um that's God forbid. really the we greatest should, hardship that, that yeah. we have to endure we should um, all be so
1: lucky but i think also like we yeah. were getting at something before and like this is where i am interested in us like you know it's it's kind of perfect timing with the changing of our podcast name and all this like you know, there comes a point at which, like, we need to look at ourselves, too, and be like, well, here's the thing. Like, we do this podcast about the NBA, and let's talk about that. Like, our culture, you know, is obsessed with athletes. Our culture is obsessed with star athletes and celebrities, many of whom are black. We do a podcast about the NBA, our love for the NBA. And I read this yeah. report. It's from the, uh, the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports, And it said that the NBA was 74.3 percent African American during the 2015-16 season, and 81.7 percent were people of color. And that so that was what four years ago. I imagine that trend has only continued. So, 75 percent of the league is black. 80 percent of the league, people of color, and yet somehow we are completely immune to conversations and actions towards the plight of African Americans and the majority of whom aren't famous entertainers. And I think that's like a question like we have to ask like, why? Like, why? Why is that? And I'm not talking just about us. I mean, like, not just us, like sports media in general, like all, all the sort of like blogs and podcasts and TV shows that are dedicated to entertainment, right? How come we don't discuss like, <laughs> we, are so, we are so down to talk about Kevin Durant and LeBron James and who's the best player? Is it Kawhi? Is it James Harden? Whatever, whatever. But when it comes to actually addressing who those people are and where they come from, We just opt out of those conversations and it needs to change. Like we actually need to give a shit about who those people are and the communities that they're from.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense why we don't do it because it's like not fun and it's not easy. uh, And there's no like cool, cool, like highlights to watch, and there's yeah. no like, f- you know, nerdy stats to geek out about. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a way to to. I mean, like, I hope we can kind of use this show as a way to like, I don't know, w- at least like work it in and, and, and like and like find like entry points where it is fascinating just from like, uh, you know, a historical perspective yeah, or man. like something that that we can kind of like gr- you know grab onto um that will be something that is like you know that that's like not a history textbook but that is like it's still you know real and that and that uh you know has like some some truth and some value to it um and i don't know like i think a lot about how we did like our deep dive on like Arvidis Sabonis. and it's like why did we do that um that that three-part series it wasn't because you and I were Arvidas Sabonis experts and wanted to share our knowledge it was because we didn't really know that much about Arvidas Sabonis and I wanted to learn more about him like I knew a little bit but I was like this dude is so fucking fascinating I just want to learn more for myself so I'm going to use this show as an excuse to do that um and now I kind of want to like
1: apply that to what we're talking about today (laughs) Um, Absolutely, man. again, like I, I am in full step, like agreement with you. And I was going to actually suggest like we do a little bit of that today. So I am interested in trying to connect some of the racial politics and activism of today with what was happening in the early nineties. Um, because that's where we were in the podcast when all this stuff with George Floyd went down and there's probably no better place for us to really investigate than, than the 90s because like it's very much where our consciousness was developing as kids and it was yeah. also where our intersection with the NBA happened um yeah so before you know before we talk about the 1994 NBA finals ben like we've been talking about you know the the Houston Rockets and and the New York Knicks i think it's important especially right now, for us to like zoom out for a second and examine like what was happening in the country during the early 90s, specifically the fabric of the African-American community. Like I said, like this is a league right now that's probably 80% black. And to sort of appreciate like who our heroes are, we need to understand like where they come from and what their people were going through. So um. You know, professional sports leagues in the United States have been, like, built on the backs of African Americans, and it's interesting to me how ownership has been decidedly whitewashed. I know this is, like, a subject that you're especially interested and passionate about, and we've talked about wanting to deep dive this. And we will, I promise. owners. I (laughs) I promise we will have a... a (laughs) <laughs> who's down who's down for the ownership deep dive the ownership draft? Uh, oh we're
0: having we're having an ownership draft at some point <laughs> soon uh it's actually been on the docket for a long time now um and uh and i i really can't tell you how but like that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about where like yeah. that will be such a fascinating thing because i know a little bit about uh you know who who the different various people are that own these teams and their varying levels of disgustingness <sighs> and horror um, but I want to know more. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, man, and that like takes most, s-
1: most billionaires aren't great people. <laughs> man, no, just, I just, know. Just a hunch, man.
0: Um, um, but, but and it's something like, that we, like, I mean, everyone knows that, like, James Dolan sucks, but, like, no one really talks about, like, the owner of the Atlanta yeah. Hawks or the owner of the Dude, fucking it, Minnesota Timberwolves. Like,
1: it's, it's the you know, exact I, conversation we were having, which is, like, we consider, you know... Uh, In our circles, we consider Democrats good people and Republicans bad people. So it's like, oh, but this guy's a Democrat owner. You know what I mean? And it's like, guess what? Democrats can be shitbags too. You know what I mean? Like, in fact, some of them are like way shittier people. So, um, I I, I did just like a little cursory uh, research here, and I want you to consider this disparity in in terms of the power dynamics between management. NBA owners and labor, the employees, right, the players in the NBA. In 1994, during the series that that we're watching between the Knicks and the Rockets, in 1994 there were zero black owners in <laughs> a league built on, you know, the blood, sweat and tears of African American athletes. And how far have we come since yeah. then? Robert Johnson of the Charlotte Bobcats, now the Charlotte Hornets, was the first black majority team owner in the NBA that happened in 2004 2005 he was succeeded as the Bobcats owner in 2010-11 by another African-American Michael Jordan right arguably the the greatest player to ever play in the NBA to this day goat. Michael Jordan is currently the only African-American NBA owner the NBA is widely hailed, right? Widely lauded as the most progressive professional sports league in the United States, and we have one NBA owner. How many teams? 30? So, Thirty. So, yeah, yeah, there's something wildly uh, out of balance there, if you ask me. Again, that is, is, a, is a
0: yeah.
1: So I will we say that is a, on a, the backs of 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 athletes, eighty percent of whom are African American. Yeah.
0: Either, one out of thirty, however, is a slightly better ratio uh, than the United States Senate, um, uh, in which there are three African Americans uh, out of one hundred. Fantastic! So, you got to got to give the NDA props there. <laughs> right. uh, point 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 zero yeah. three three uh, is is in fact a greater number than point zero 0.03. So
1: basically, you know. we have a significant diversity problem. In, you know you talk about like diversity in the workplace, this is a conversation that's happening right now a lot. like we have a significant diversity problem in ownership, in politics, in terms of power. like the, the people that control the power are largely old white men, rich old white men. <laughs> and um, yeah and and we talk you know that word rich, money, right like so looking at the finances of the NBA in 9'3, 94, So I've just begun to do a little research here, Ben. But So I I, I found out that in 1993, the NBA and NBC, their primary TV partner, agreed to a $750 million TV contract, a four-year contract, in 1994. In 2019, the NBA made upwards of $8 billion in revenue, and we only have financial data Um, there's only been financial data that's actually been released about the NBA and how much revenue they had uh, up until 2001. Everything before that is sort of kind of in a black cloud. But in 2001, Mm -hmm. um, 2001, I believe the league was making about a billion dollars. So you see this exponential growth in the last 20 years in the NBA. So it's fair to assume in 1994, when we're watching these finals, the league was probably doing at least uh, $500 million, a billion dollars in business. Again, they get a $750 million contract from NBC. So they're doing pretty good. And yet, like I was saying, like the when you look at the ownership, when you look at the board of governors, it's largely old white guys. Um, and there's a complete lack of diversity. So when we start like trying to talk about the league and understand like where the league is at, I think we have to, like I was saying, kind of zoom out a bit and look at like what's happening to what's happening for African-Americans in this country at that time. And how is the NBA actually like uh, a reflection of what's happening in America? Um, So, you know there are a lot of like key um, dates and, and, and things that were happening in uh, African American history. A lot of like landmark, not civil rights stuff, but like just a lot of stuff happening in in racial politics during the '90s. Um, but the big one that I want to talk about with you, Ben, is um, is Rodney King. Rodney um, King. Rodney King. So I want to talk about Rodney King and what was happening with yeah. Rodney.
0: Sorry. Real quick, just to kind of like tie this back into um, it, it's like striking me how uh, (laughs) weirdly like um, like like fitting it is, I guess, that we that before all this went down, you know, the the project that we were engaged in was this nineteen ninety four playoffs deep dive, Um, because as you and I both knew, at a certain point during the NBA finals, um, there would be a certain game between the Rockets and the Knicks. They would be interrupted by a certain historical event, um, and it's crazy to me that like before we ever started, uh, you know, this or like a, as we started this project, you know, we like we sort of knew like oh yeah, eventually there's going to be the OJ game, and we'll get to talk about OJ, and like won't that be like an interesting kind of look back at history, right. um, and and like now. I mean, I feel like we have to talk about OJ oh. uh, a lot a lot more than we were uh, already planning to, which was like, I mean, we were probably going to have a whole episode about OJ, but now I feel like oh,
1: that's not we a need problem. to do more. <laughs> yeah, like for you and I, that's not going to be a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, our listeners should know that um, I am currently in the midst of, and you have current, have recently completed a rewatch of um, the greatest sports documentary of all time. No, we're not talking about The Last Dance, folks. We're talking about O.J. Made in America. Um, Let's be clear. And I,
1: I just completed what was either my fourth or my fifth rewatch of O.J. Made in America. So I've they an s- eight-hour qu- eight documentary? Yeah, I've spent quite a bit of time with this series. You know, our
0: heads were in 1994, um, and now they're kind of like, you know, very, you know... Fully uh, in 1994. Sort of, yeah, very fully in 1994, and now they've been kind of pulled back into 2020, But it turns out that 1994 is extremely relevant to 2020. Um, Yes. And there is a lot to talk about uh, from 1994 and and what was happening then as pretty much still a kind of a hangover from 1992. Um, Which was a hangover from
1: 1991. Um, Right. Because... Which, as of course, was a
0: hangover from the 1960s. Yes, and which was a hangover from the 80s, the 1800s, and 70s and the
1: 60s. Right. So what we're yeah, learning yeah. kind of is that 2020 is a direct cor- correlation to 2019 and every pr- prior year. Because as we yeah. learn from history, all things are interconnected. And, you know, what's the uh, quote from that movie Magnolia?
0: Oh, you're... You might be you might be done with the past, but, but the past, past isn't, isn't done with you. you. Yeah, yeah.
1: And Great. so here well. we are. Um, so, you know, Ben, like I, I expressed to you, doing some of this research, like the trepidation that I was feeling, like the weight the weight of talking about Rodney King. Like, how could we, how could we possibly, how could how could we possibly understand how, as two f- middle aged white guys, how could we possibly? Yeah. How can we Again, the neuroses, yeah. the neuroses of all this white guilt. How could we possibly understand? How could we possibly research this thoroughly enough? Wh- no matter what, no matter what, we're going to be letting someone down. We're not going to be doing enough. But yeah, I'm calling, we're going to sound like assholes. I'm calling, I'm calling bullshit on on <laughs> us and that train of thought because it's actually a cop out. And so yeah. we're going to try our best. And we are gonna admit that like we're not experts and we don't know it all, but we're gonna just try to start having a conversation. So
0: listen, listen, we might fail, but as Ryan Rosillo has bravely taught us, yes. um it's it's okay to try. It's yes. okay to try and yes. it's okay to fail. Yes. Um and we can all do better.
1: So in my lifetime, I think probably in your lifetime, the most grave, serious matter of racial profiling uh, police brutality um, that we have ever experienced or, or learned about maybe prior to G- George Floyd was Rodney King and and the case of Rodney King in the LAPD and that was in 1991 but I want to give us Ben some backstory uh, to maybe to some of our younger listeners who like weren't alive or don't know enough about what was happening in Los Angeles and America in the early 90s. So I think like when we talk about race, it's sort of naive unless you're willing to have a larger social discussion about class. And I think to... Big time. In order to talk about the African-American experience in Los Angeles, to talk about the African-American experience in the United States, um, and to understand the events of Rodney King and the Rodney King beating and the riots you really have to examine and understand a bit about the tension and the disparities that exist and existed and still exist between the various ethnic groups and how ethnic groups are cut along class lines in society, how, how certain uh, races and ethnic groups are sort of marginalized by class. And often that happens by certain ethnicities and certain groups basically being what's called redlined and put in different neighborhoods and put in these very, um, uh, uh racially, um, segregated neighborhoods. So, and this was very much the case in Los Angeles in the early nineties. So in the year before the Rodney King riots in 1991, there had been this growing resentment in Los Angeles between the African American community and the Korean American community, and these racial tensions had been brewing actually for decades. But it reached a boiling point in the early nineties. Um, many of the 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 Korean small businesses, shop owners, deli owners, uh, supermarket owners, people that uh, run uh, that were running bodegas felt that they were being the, uh, the targets of, of harassment and shoplifting and theft by African Americans. And Ben, if you remember um, the 1989 Spike Lee movie Do the Right Thing. There's actually a mm-hmm. subplot in that movie where a Korean grocery owner spars with the young black youth in bed in Brooklyn. So there's this dynamic where there are these Korean business owners um, in Los Angeles who are feeling threatened by the African-American community. And conversely, many black people in Los Angeles felt disrespected and humiliated by Koreans who were doing business and displacing their people in neighborhoods like South Central and in Koreatown. Um, And African-Americans viewed those as neighborhoods that were very much their own. And they felt that Koreans didn't have any respect for pre-existing culture um, and pre-existing people who were there before the Korean businesses came in. So you have these two um, underserved, underprivileged, marginalized ethnic groups, the Korean Americans, the African Americans, living in Los Angeles. It's the early 90s. And they're effectively blaming one another for their problems. But absent from that conversation are the white people who have systematically, and strategically engineered their disenfranchisement. <laughs> and they are completely absent from that uh, from that discussion, from that power dynamic. So on March 16th, 1991, a year prior to the LA riots, there's a convenience store owner, a clerk, um, a store clerk whose name was uh, Soon Ja Do, a Korean immigrant. And she shot and killed a black ninth grader named Latisha Harlins. And very, very simply, here's what happened. Fifteen-year-old Latisha Harlins, she goes into a grocery uh, Empire Liquor Market, which was owned and run by Soonja Doo's family. And uh, Latisha Harlins takes a one dollar and seventy-nine cent bottle of orange juice and puts it in her backpack. And it's caught on security cameras. And so she approaches the camera, uh, she she approaches the counter with some money to pay for the orange juice. But Soon doo didn't see the money in her hand. And she confronts Leticia Harlan. She accuses her of being a shoplifter, and she over you know, she oversees like what was happening on the security cam. And they have a brief scuffle. Letitia Harlands decides like enough is enough. She takes the orange juice, puts it on the counter, and she's leaving the store. And as she's leaving the store, sunja Jadu takes out a gun and shoots her in the back of the head and kills her. Jesus. So Sun Jadu was convicted of voluntary manslaughter, but her sentence was suspended. She was given five years of probation and 400 hours of community service and a fine. And so this really galvanizes the African-American community in Los Angeles. And Latisha Harlan's murder um, which has, frankly, some echoes of George Floyd, right? Is mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, it's, it's so the mistrust, right? It's so the mistrust between African Americans and Korean Americans, but more significantly, it so the so the, um, the mistrust between African Americans, black people, and the criminal justice system in the United States. And it would mm. become basically the bedrock, right, the foundation. And this is nothing new. This is just an example, and it's a, a an example specific to the early 90s. Uh, but that that mistrust would become the bedrock. It would become part of the foundation, just another brick in the wall for what would unfold with the Rodney King riots and, of course, the eventual trial of O.J. Simpson. So when you think about, you know, African-Americans in the early 90s in South Central, in Los Angeles, there is this growing discontent, this growing disbelief that, they're, that they can ever have justice. So now, Ben, it's March of 1991. Let's talk about Rodney King. The California Highway Patrol is attempting to pull over An African-American male named Rodney King, he's speeding on the L.A. freeway. Now, Rodney King was on probation for robbery, and he had been drinking. Uh, He had been drinking on the night of this high-speed chase. So he leads cops on uh, on on a chase down the L.A. freeway. And when the highway patrolmen are finally able to catch up to him and pull him over, at this point, there are several LAPD officers on the scene. So Rodney King's resisting arrest. Um, naturally, of course, as one might be like, if you are out on probation and you're a black man, and the yeah. cops are trying to pull you over, you're thinking every worst thought. <laughs> you're thinking, yeah. I, "I'm about to die." Like, this I'm, is not going to go well for me. Yeah, I'm about to die here. So yeah. they Rodney King is resisting arrest. Um, four LAPD officers shoot him with a taser gun and they begin beating him. They struck him, Ben, um, dozens of times. They, they hit him with handled batons. They kick stomped him in his back. They tackled him to the ground before they handcuffed him, and then they hogtied his legs. Now, one of the offending officers, Sergeant Kuhn, later testified that Rodney King resisted arrest and the officers believed that he was under the influence of PCP at the time of the arrest. So hence, like mm. they they had to be, they had to beat him within within an inch of his life because it seemed like he was on the under the influence of PCP. And you know,
0: well as we all know, PCP gives you uh, superhuman strength, sure. ten, 10 times the strength. So you could uh, easily kill you know m- multiple officers if you're yeah. on PCP. Sure.
1: Well, Ben. Subsequent tests uh, on Rodney King's blood found out that, in fact, there was no trace of PCP in his body at the time of the arrest. So that was completely yeah. false. Now, Ben, what's by the way, if there
0: had been if there had been PCP in his blood, absolutely just as awful and inexcusable.
1: <laughs> sure, sure, exactly, exactly. And and I think that's the point. Like like he had been drinking at the time. And he should have been pulled over for a D, DUI, DWI, whatever. Sure. But, like, one thing does not necessitate the other. Just as in the case of George Floyd, who is trying to pass a forged, uh, a fake $20 bill, like, one thing has nothing to do with the other. So, what makes no. this incident unique, as with the case of George Floyd, is that all of this, of course, Ben was caught on videotape by an onlooker. Right. And this videotape, you know, pre-internet, this is 1991, Yeah, went viral. Um, it's
0: like the first viral police brutality video in history. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy to think about, like, how that We're, wasn't really possible back then, and it just happened to be some, it was just like a random passerby, right, that had a video camera?
1: With a full-on, like, like, VHS, like, recorder, like, like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, literally, like, like, a big-ass video camera.
0: Um, Yeah. Red, red button date in the corner. Sure. Yeah.
1: Yep. 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 So the, the beating of Rodney King was captured on tape and it inspired worldwide outrage, you know, it inspired outrage in the city among the African American community and you know, the, the community had long condemned the racial profiling and its abuse of fellow African Americans at the hands of the police force. And finally, finally, there's a videotape, right? Of it actually happening. Yeah. Well, that's the thing.
0: It's it's nothing that it hadn't hadn't happened before. Everyone no. in that community knew that this was a, a regular occurrence. Right. But there was no way to there's prove no it, or there was no way to get people to, to really care or pay attention right. without the video. The video is always the key. You sure. gotta have video if you want sure. people to care.
1: Sure. So we have the video. And there's this mass outrage. We're finally going to get justice. The LAPD are finally going to be held accountable. So people start demanding that L.A. police chief, Daryl Gates, that he be fired. They demand that the four officers involved in the incident, uh, you know, be reprimanded for their excessive use of force. And um, Rodney King, uh, you know, had had a case. He had a case in court. And what, what became sort of so telling and so fucking frustrating was the Rodney King case was moved. Uh, the officers in the case were not tried in South Central Ben. The King case was, the officers were tried in Simi Valley, a, a mm. lily white suburban neighborhood on the outskirts of Los Angeles. And I what believe do you,
0: that is the the location of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, fantastic! To, to, give, to give you to give you a sense of uh, what kind of town Simi, right. Simi Valley is.
1: So, um, in April of 1992, Ben a jury a jury of their peers found the four uh, offending police officers not guilty, and very significantly, Ben. One week, one week prior to that not guilty verdict, a state appeals court unanimously upheld the sentencing decision in Soon Jadu, the murderer of Latasha Harlan's. So suddenly, wow. the whole African American community in Los Angeles is like pulling out their hair. They're like, like when is enough enough? Like, will we ever have yeah. any sort of justice? So there is suddenly rage. There's rage over the Rodney King verdict, right? Rage over the Rodney King verdict. There is rage over the, uh, the Latasha Hawking, uh, Latasha Harlan's murder. And it sparks riots in Los Angeles that last for four days, um, beginning in mostly the black neighborhoods of South Central. And by the time the riots subdue Ben, more than 55 people were dead, um there were over 2,300 people with injuries. There were a thousand buildings that had been burned. Uh, authorities estimated the total damage to the city of Los Angeles was about a billion dollars. And mm. in the next year, two of the four LAPD officers involved in the beating were retried and convicted in federal court for violating Rodney King's civil rights. He was awarded. Uh, three point eight million dollars in a civil lawsuit, um, paid out f- by the city of Los Angeles, and so this is like on the heels of <laughs> what we're watching, you know, which is, which is the NBA finals in 1994, right? And yeah, all of all of this stuff existing in the universe is going to have a direct fe- effect to the murder trial of O.J. Simpson. And we are going to see a intersection between O.J. Simpson's trial, his pursuit by the Los Angeles Police Department, and the NBA finals. Um, The NBA on NBC, the Knicks and the Houston Rockets.
0: Sorry, that just reminds me real quick. Um, Sorry, I I was just uh, thinking how you know, the, the kind of gap in time between 94 and 90, uh, 91. Um, but as I was reminded, um, in an, uh, an episode of another podcast that I can't, uh, stress urgently enough, uh, urge, uh, strongly enough that everyone listen to, um, talking, of course, Chris, you know, it well, the, the cookies podcast, yep. their interview with, um, Craig Hodges, which is so fucking awesome. It's just so good. Um, I can't say enough uh, how how incredible it is um, to uh, to just hear what what that guy had to say. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, was it the '91 Finals or the '92 Finals that uh, Craig Hodges was urging? I, I think it was. I guess it must have been '91 because it was. Um, yeah, it was Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan that he was like kind of talking to, to to try to convince them. To basically not play to to kind boycott. of like protest and, and and boycott Game One of the '91 NBA Finals, which of course featured the Los Angeles Lakers uh, and the Chicago Bulls, um, because that would have been in in, in May of '91. Um, so at that point, the the verdict from the trial of the officers hadn't been reached yet. Uh, but the but the uh, the beating, the Rodney King, uh, the actual.
1: But now oh but, but this is very much in the air I mean Rodney King is yeah. Rodney King gets his 3.8 million dollars from the city of Los mm-hmm. Angeles in that civil lawsuit on April 20th mm-hmm. of 1994 so we're talking about that spring this shit is in the air right. like this is like right, right right this is in the cosmos like like right literally in April of 94 King gets his payout from the city the city you know admits that they are culpable in some way. And by June of 94, Nicole Brown Simpson is murdered. The Knicks, you know, like it's, it's, it's this, it's this tornado. It's this swirl of, um, of things in the cosmos, in the air. Yeah. Mostly, I just
0: wanted to remind everyone to check out the Craig Hodges interview on cookies because it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, I mean, talking about a guy like who, you know, sort of similar to like, all the people that had that been doing work uh, about, you know, defunding and, and disbanding police departments who are now all in the vogue and who are now all, like, you know, giving interviews and, and, and talking on podcasts and stuff when, you know, a month ago, no one gave a fuck about them and no one paid any attention to them. Craig Hodges was basically saying everything that we're all saying in the year 2020 back in the year 1990. like. Yeah. Um, and which is, in fact, why uh, his uh, basketball career was ended prematurely, <laughs> um, because like no one wanted to hear it back then. Um, no one wants to hear
1: inconvenient conversations.
0: Yeah, um, I mean to the point where like they will, even if you are one of Black the best three point yeah. shooters in the entire uh, league, um, they'll just say no, uh, we don't care. Didn't we, they do that want the to
1: uh, a guy named Colin Kaepernick? Like it, it's literally yeah, like oh uh, yeah, that's uh, you, you know what I mean. Like yeah. how far we have not come you know yeah Um,
0: yeah it's weird how that that's kind of a recurring trend
1: yeah before we go because we have to wrap up this conversation at some point here like i want to talk to you about resources for people that we would recommend checking out you mentioned the cookies hoops podcast the specifically the episode of craig hodges which is wonderful um Mm -hmm. but we're going to be continuing to talk about racial politics and like what was happening in the world as it intersects and relates with basketball um specifically the 94 playoff series and like we were talking about before I hope this is not I hope this is not it for us like I hope <laughs> I hope this is like not the end but rather like the beginning of a larger discussion about all this stuff.
0: When we were talking about like feeling like assholes, even, uh, you know, sort of floundering around, struggling to discuss this. Um, I think the only way for us to actually be assholes is if like we did this one episode and we were like, all right, cool, we're good. (laughs) And then, and then just like stopped. Um, because then every, all, all of those feelings of, of like, you know, sort of just like superficial gestures toward, you know, toward this, um, would be true. So, um yeah like all i can say is i'm like putting this on the record uh, on uh you know in in our podcast so that i we can't uh pretend it, it was never said um yeah like we we aren't gonna let that happen
1: let's talk about some resources for our um massive listening audience to uh check in with uh if there's stuff you would recommend reading listening to anything you would say hey you want to donate some money donate it to this um anything that you would suggest
0: this is like a really overwhelming thing to even begin because it's like i don't even i don't even know um i i encourage everyone to like start reading things i mean i I don't think i need to tell anyone to do that at this point um and, and, like, researching and, like, um, I think figuring out um, places to donate is actually something that um, takes a lot of time. I mean, it's, of course, like, if you don't have the time, then just, like, fucking send some money to BLM or NAACP or one of the several uh, bail funds. Um, like, that's those are kind of, like, no-brainers. Um, but there's lots of other um, organizations that, like, you know, I fully admit, like, I just haven't fucking paid attention to, I haven't researched or like read, read into. Um, so I think like a lot of the, like, sort of just sheer time that I'm going to try to spend, um, you know, just kind of learning more and reading more is going to be spent on like, which are the places whose, uh, kind of projects and goals, um, I believe in the strongest and yeah. where I want to send money. Um, and at least to start, like, I'm yeah, man. super fucking fascinated by this whole defunding, abolishing police um, movement and uh, and actually, like, looking into the, the groups, like I said, that have been doing this work for years um, before it ever became fashionable. Um, one is uh, critical resistance, um, which is... Uh, a group that was co-founded by uh, Angela Davis, actually, hmm. uh, I believe, back in like the '90s, I want to say, um, and uh, its other co-founder is a woman by the name of Fuck. What's her name? Um, I sent it to you. She was on that podcast. Um, anyway, figure. Uh, I encourage people to to check out Critical Resistance. Um, Another one is MPD-150, which is a, a community advocacy group based in Minneapolis, um, which has been uh, focused on abolishing the, the local police department there um, for a very long time. Um, and um, any other people to read are Alex Vitale, um, who yeah. um, was uh, recently on another favorite podcast of ours, Office Hours, with uh, Tim Heidecker, DJ Doug Pound, Vic Berger, and... Um, they uh, obviously are a comedy podcast, um, but they, um, uh, you know, also uh, are good human beings who believe in—I would say—the right things. And they had a guy on, Alex Vitale, um, who's written an entire book called—I um, believe it's called. What is it
1: called? How the much end do we? Uh, the end of policing. Uh, uh,
0: uh, yeah, the end of policing—a 2017 book um, which I really want to read. Uh, I think if you listen to him on the office hours podcast, he mentions that you can get it for free now. Yeah. Uh, he does you a great like job. It. Just um, does a
1: great job talking about all that stuff. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. And also, he's fucking ben, awesome. The name of the woman is Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who was on there you the, go. Thank the, you. the intercept podcast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The intercept podcast intercept is a really, really good podcast. um, uh and yeah i mean there's a million places to to look and it's really really easy to find stuff now since it's <laughs> all anyone is talking about and i just urge people to yeah like do reading do research um do the work yeah uh and and like yeah and also like fucking give money because yep. um that's the thing that's actually going to change anything is these places in order for them to succeed just need money um i mean at the end of the day like this entire fucking thing i think frankly comes down to the redistribution of wealth um and the reason i I think like at the end of the day the root cause of everything that we're talking about today um is the fact that you know certain communities just aren't given money and other communities have all that money sure um Yeah. And um, that's what creates the problem. And then they uh, attempt to solve that problem by uh, adding more money into policing instead of addressing uh, the more difficult and challenging uh, problems in those communities.
1: Classism at its core is race is racism.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's they're so it's so obviously intertwined. And like the whole idea of like, oh, we're going to solve this by like teaching people not to be racist is just like such a wrong-headed and I'm not saying like that racism isn't also a problem because obviously it is um but like there's no amount of like fucking like training or like seminars uh for police officers that's going to teach them not to be racist um uh and, and like that and like you know I think it's great to to like tear down confederate statues it should have um that should have never been uh, there in the first place um but like that's also not the solution um like fucking like taking Gone with the Wind off of HBO Max um, is is actually not really going to chip away at, at the uh, machine of capitalism. Um, uh, it turns out. So, yeah, we'd
1: love to see uh, HBO Max, do, in addition to uh, taking Gone with the Wind off their platform, maybe cut a check to someone. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe some, cut a check. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I read that that Disney is is going to is considering changing the name of Splash Mountain uh because Splash Mountain um comes from yeah Song, Song of the South right which is like a super old ra- like movie uh, super racist old movie um from uh I don't know whatever the 1930s or something like that so anyway that's where your Splash the name Splash Mountain came from gotcha. so Disney's like oh maybe we should tra- change Splash Mountain which is like <laughs> If I that's, mean, first of all, the Lopez twins right. would, would be, would be, uh, you know, so disappointed, but, right. um, but if
1: that's the extent of your political action, then it's, yeah, it's not good yeah.
0: enough. <laughs> no, I'm afraid that's not going to solve the problem yeah. uh, that we're facing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's my two cents.
1: Yeah. No more, no more symbolic gestures. We actual we need like actual change and actual engagement and actual involvement and actual conversation. Um, so sure change the name splash mountain but don't let that be the only thing that you do you know you can post your black box on instagram but don't let that be the only thing you do and ben for us like this conversation is great but like don't let this be the only episode where this is the um you know fabric of of like conversation.
0: Yeah, this is um, something I'm just going to propose right here on the spot. Uh, oh, so baby. I don't mean to spring one on you, Chris. Oh, baby. Um, But I think that um, uh, you know, I, I think it's actually kind of hilarious that uh, for the past two months, while literally every single basketball podcast um, on the uh, in the universe was doing you know episode by episode recaps of the Last Dance. Uh, not only did we not do that, I don't think we've uttered the words The Last Dance on this podcast um, uh, since it premiered in April, right. um, which I frankly find hilarious and I could not be more proud of. Um, the
1: final dance. Because this will be the last one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the final, the final final dance. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been saving our thoughts on The Last Dance um, for uh, for a future episode, hopefully um, long enough into the future that people don't even know what we're referencing uh, anymore. Um, but I think instead of doing a, a an episode-by-episode episode recap of The Last Dance, should we do an episode-by-episode episode recap of O.J. Simpson Made in America? Oh, baby. You know I'm into that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, I, I believe that that documentary may be a little bit more... Um, <laughs> I would say sort of ch- like challenging um, and um, critical uh, and critical maybe right. um, uh, 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 of uh, of racial issues in America than The Last Dance was yeah, um, yeah so it, I don't know Yeah, um, I'm very yeah it. I think I think that might be again a way for us to like talk about this stuff without being like Uh, Okay, Uh, this week's episode, Chris and I just, uh, you know, researched the 1960s civil rights movement uh, a little bit. And we want to tell you guys, you know, about Malcolm X, um, (laughs) because like that's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, I I still want to do that, but like we have to like sort of, you know, figure out a way uh, where this will be like. Yeah. I don't want to say fun because it's not supposed to be fun necessarily, but no, like interesting, interesting engaging, interesting is the engaging. Word.
1: And the thing is, yeah. here, here's the, here's the great thing about racial injustice, Ben. It turns out it literally affects every <laughs> facet and caveat of like life. You know what I mean? So whatever, yeah. in whatever you're interested in, I promise there's embedded racism in that, you know, like if, yeah. if you work in the media world, if you work in the fashion world, if you, you know, like, Literally, whatever it is, I promise you, there's systemic embedded in racism. Um, you know, yeah. As been, a there's member there's of the media world, being had in the entertainment industry, in the theater community, which I'm involved with, where it's like, yeah, it turns out like literally everyone has been part of this problem. So, hey, like. <laughs> Fortunately like we we talk about something that we love which is basketball and like it there's a lot here. There's there's a lot to discuss in terms of like the injustice, the oppression and the the racism that's has been systemic in the league. Yeah. All right man. Um I think um I think that's all the time we have for today. Um yeah. This is a good start. Well this was a yeah, exactly. a good a good start. a a
0: weird sort of like uh, you know fumbling around, uh, if if you will. But uh, it's better than saying better than not. You know, it's it's it's, it's not my place to to talk. Um, Agree. So, um, you know. What can we say? I hope uh, <laughs> people don't immediately unsubscribe from our podcast. If um, they do,
1: I'm, I'm hey, good luck to you. Actually, and, yeah,
0: that would be yeah. that'd be cool if they did. Um, yeah. In fact, I I think if anything, we should try to have fewer
1: listeners uh, than, we, than we already do. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, let this be a warning me... right now. We will just be going further and further into uh, in, into these. Yeah. Issues. If you think. So
0: if, if you're you, on the if fence, you, if you thought.
1: Yeah, and if you thought that we didn't give a fuck about our listeners before this,
0: then well, baby, we're about buddy, to rip you the have, band do have off. No, you have no, you have no idea just how alienating we can be. Yeah,
1: all right, man. It was uh, good talking to you, and uh, a pleasure as always, as uh, someone usually says to me. A pleasure as always, my friend. Right. I'll talk um, to you. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Sounds good. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. My name is Chris Mundalkin. This is Swish FM. You can follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, Swish FM Radio. You can email us any of your thoughts, questions to SwishFMRadio at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on our website, SwishFM.com. And if you could, please rate, review, subscribe to the show in Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Have a great week. Engage in the issues. Read up. Get involved. And we will talk to you next week.
0: You've been listening to Switch. Switch. FM.